Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sam Loy, and welcome to another episode of Human Ordinary, documentaries about relationships, culture, and all those things that make us human. So, this one time, way back when I was about 13 years old, this boy came to school one day with an earring. And everyone went apeshit. It was like he carpet-bombed the entire school with the excitement of new possibility. The day before, boys didn't have earrings. Then all of a sudden, we could. It raised in our young minds thoughts of what else we could do to subvert the standards and break the expectations we perceived we lived under. Of course, people, and especially kids, are mostly without creativity and lack the requisite verve to swim against the current. And so... Over the next couple of weeks, only a few copycat piercings appeared. No one bucked trends in other ways, and the subversion was soon absorbed into the expected, and everything went back to normal. The thing I remember from back then, though, is that boys could only have an earring in their left ear. At least that was the case if they wanted to avoid ridicule and being a year-level oddity at my very boring and conformist high school. Because to have an earring in your right ear meant that you were gay. I don't even know if that's still a thing. To tell the truth, I don't even know whether it was an actual thing back then, something that was used beyond the boundaries of schoolyards. But the thing that fascinates me so much about all that is that a tiny stud piercing carried so much meaning, so much weight depending on where it was. Something as massive as a guy's sexual orientation could be signalled and read, not by words or behaviour or by a wittily worded t-shirt, but simply by putting an itty-bitty piece of metal into their right earlobe. This time on the show, producer May Jasper goes in search of answers and meaning found in the curls and streaks of hair. I get very nervous going to the hairdresser. I don't get nervous that I will end up with a bad haircut. That would be irritating, but temporary, and frankly, I don't have enough hair for things to go too badly astray. Unless the hairdresser went unexpectedly wild with the clippers and gave me the full Sinead O'Connor. No, I'm not anxious about a bad cut. I'm anxious about all the questions. You know, the... Do you wash your hair every day? Do you want more volume? How about some layers? Shall we try and frame your face a bit more? Do you own a hairdryer? And my ultimate favourite, do you want your hair cut above your ears? I just... I just cannot stress enough to you how much I do not know what any of those questions mean. Do I want more volume? To me, that is the equivalent of a mechanic asking if I would like my car to have more radiator. I mean, I guess so, if you think that will help. And even the more practical questions about whether I wash my hair every day or or use a blow dryer, I understand them, but nevertheless, I, I always feel like I'm getting them wrong. If I admit that the sound of a hairdryer brings me out in hives 
or that if I don't wash my hair every day, it looks as greasy and lifeless as a fish and chip shop worker drowned in a deep fryer, aren't I failing some sort of test? A lady test? Because I know ladies are supposed to know about this stuff. About volume and layers and beauty in general. A grown-up lady in her 30s, should be able to answer the standard yes-no question of whether she wants her hair cut above her ears without staring blankly at the hairdresser while her brain makes a noise like a blender eating a nail file. I would love it, really honestly love it, if hairdressers could be like plumbers. The world of plumbing is just as mysterious to me as the world of fashion, but plumbers never ask questions about what kind of pipes I like or my preferred brand of toilet snake. They are the experts, and so they don't need my input to make my plumbing work good. And perhaps even more importantly, if they did ask me a plumbing question, I could confidently, breezily say, I'm so sorry, I have no earthly idea what you mean, without feeling ashamed, embarrassed and small. And hairdressers are kind of fashion experts, right? Can't they just make my hair work good without all the questions that I can't answer and the corresponding implication that I am a tiny, incompetent, frightened child? I've been asking this question, the why can't hairdressers be like plumbers question, for years. And so today, finally, I'm going to find out. I interviewed a couple of very nice, very knowledgeable hairdressers, got them to explain what their questions mean and why they don't just cut hair without asking them. And along the way, I found out that giving someone the right haircut is much more complicated than I, or even my plumber, ever realised. Okay, so first of all, let me introduce you to my hairdressers. First up, we have Marissa. So my name's Marissa Ganchi and I'm a senior educator for Chisholm Institute for Hair Beauty Wellness. Marissa has been a hairdressing educator for 12 years and a hairdresser for 35 years. And then we have Lisa. I'm Lisa. I'm owner of Birdie Hair Salon. We're a blonde specialist salon. Been hairdressing 23 years now. Talking to Lisa and Marissa, a fundamental truth about hairdressing emerges very quickly a fundamental truth that I had never thought about in depth because I'm kind of an idiot. The most important reason why hairdressers can't be plumbers is that hair is really strongly linked to identity, to who you are as a person. This is for a couple of reasons. Reason one, hair is a part of you. It's a physical thing on your body that you have to deal with and manage every day. And how you choose to manage it is going to be decided by the fundamentals of your life and how you live it, your lifestyle. So half the questions that hairdressers ask, that's what they're trying to establish. Here's Marissa with some examples. Mums, for example, often they'll either go for a longer hairstyle where they can just tie it back because they're busy or they'll go for something short because it's quick and easy to maintain. So if someone, for example, who does a lot of exercise, you know, they, they don't want a hairstyle that they've got to really work at because they're probably washing it every day or every second day. So that rules out, I would say, a lot of layering, for example, because a lot of layering through hair, depending on the hair type, because that makes a huge difference, it it requires a blow dryer and a brush, for example, to add volume, you know, to really enhance the shape that you've given them. So it turns out 
I wasn't failing a lady test. There wasn't a test at all. The hairdresser was not judging me. They were just trying to establish my lifestyle. Look, I know that this is an obvious point, and probably everyone else in the world had understood this already, but honestly, I felt so relieved at this realisation that not owning a hairdryer was not a black mark in my woman ledger, but just the reason I'd never had a Jennifer Aniston layered cut. It was truly amazing. Anyway, that's reason one for the link between hair and identity and why hairdressers are not plumbers. Hair is a part of you. Reason two, hair is not just a part of you, it's an outside part of you, a part that other people can see. How you do your hair tells other people something about you, whether you want it to or not. You can make big decisions with your hair, get a mohawk, get a mullet, an afro, and that will carry associations to the people around you. But it turns out that the hair decisions do not have to be that big to communicate your identity. Little things, like whether your hair is cut above the ears, also tell people around you a lot about who you are. I mentioned this question before, the cut above your ears question. And honestly, before I made this episode, this was the hairdressing question that I understood the least by a long way. I understood so little of this question that it's almost hard to explain why I found it so mysterious. I just couldn't come at it at all. I had no opinion on the hair above my ears, so I couldn't work out what shorter or longer hair there would mean. So, I asked Lisa about the question, and here's what she said. What, do you mean? what does that mean? But it's clearly a definitional thing. It is. And it's a personality thing on the client's behalf. Right. So we get every client's idiosyncrasy and past mental health issue and childhood issue and everything. So to you, you just go, it's a haircut, it's maintenance. To others, it is my job, my lifestyle. How does my husband like it? Oh, my God, all the mums at school in the, you know, yeah. maturic group. And, you know, to them it's like I don't want to stand out. Some people want to stand out. And to me personally, when I get my hair cut, it's what annoys me, what drives me insane. And that's a lot of people too. Yeah, sure. What annoys you. So when that's how crucial the cut above the ears question is. That's how much information your response is conveying. Information about idiosyncrasies and conformity and comfort and maintenance and the other mums at school and... Jeepers. How can the answer to this yes-no question tell hairdressers so much? So when they ask, do you want to cut above your ears? Yeah. I always have mine clean. So it's basically saying you don't want wispy bits hanging on the edges. Right. When there are some women who say, oh, no. I don't want that because that's not feminine. I need softness. And especially as women get older, they feel like they need softness around the face. To me, it doesn't suit me and those wispy bits drive me nuts. Okay, so if I'm understanding correctly, if I respond no, I don't want the hair cut above my ears, it means that I want a cut that is longer, softer, fluffier. If I say yes, I do want the hair cut above my ears, it means that I want a cut that is shorter, harder, sleeker. No, don't cut above the ears means feminine. Therefore, yes, do cut above the ears means masculine. If I say no, the hair above my ears is going to be long enough to touch my ears, which might be annoying. If I say yes, the hair above my ears will be out of the way. So the answer to this yes-no question gives the hairdresser information on style, 
and comfort. And because the length of your hair at the ears is generally consistent with the length of your hair at the back, unless you're mulleting it up, yes or no also defines the length of hair on both sides and the back, a large proportion of your head surface. That is how a hairdresser gets so much information out of this yes-no question. And because hair is a form of communication, when a hairdresser cuts your hair in line with your answer to this question, that's also how much information you are conveying to the world. Where you fall on the mask-slash-femme-sleek-slash-fluffy, soft-slash-hard spectrums, and all their related associations and stereotypes shouted out to the zeitgeist. That's what your hair is telling people, and that's why hairdressers have to ask all the questions I found so terrifying. Because, unlike plumbers, it is important that your hairdresser know who you are. But the questions are only a small part of how a hairdresser learns your identity. Obviously, really, because despite the fact that I've met all of my hairdressers' questions with a blank stare, I've still managed to get multiple haircuts. How do hairdressers turn my blank stares into visible statements of my identity in hairy form? They read me. You're never starting from a blank page. Do you know no, what I mean? correct. You've correct. got a, a human in front of you who's giving you a lot of information without correct. being aware of it. Correct. Um, so me thinking that I'm coming in with no idea what I want. In fact, I've already told you a lot of things. Correct. <laughs> you just walking in the door yeah. has already told me a lot of things. Exactly. You sitting down now in front of me, me looking at your hair, I already know a lot of things. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah. you can actually, what you're wearing today, everything tells me about you. And that's why we always say... Go into the hairdressers like you would normally dress. Mm. Don't, because people come in and go, oh, I feel like I dress really fancy. And I'm like, what for? <laughs> I didn't ask Lisa what my clothes and my hair told her about my personality because honestly, I was a little frightened of the answer. I think about clothes in much the same way that I think about hair. I don't know what any of it means and I find it terrifying. But in the end, that's probably what she took away that I was someone who out of a lack of interest or fear, doesn't give a lot of thought to how I look. And so I would want a haircut that doesn't require much thought. Low stress, manageable and unassuming. But what if, having made that assessment, low stress, unassuming, I sat down in the chair and asked Lisa to give me a mohawk? What does Lisa or any hairdresser do then? And this is the next level in the difference between hairdressers and plumbers. Hairdressers don't just have to know your identity in order to give you a cut that matches it. They also have to know your identity in case you're planning to change it. How different hair can change your life and why that makes hairdressers like Spider-Man after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before the break, we talked about how hair reflects your identity. But the link between hair and identity is not just a one-way street. Changing your hair changes who you are. This sounds like an outlandish statement, but it's easy to see how it works. 
If you have a mohawk, you're a punk. By which I mean society has developed a set of assumptions and associations with people with mohawks, and they have grouped those associations together under the heading punk. If you look at those associations and decide that one or more of them are something that you want to be, you might get a mohawk. And then, because society influences your identity, even if you didn't adhere to all the associations, even if you weren't that punky before, maybe you just thought mohawks looked cool, the way people treat you now that you have a mohawk pushes you into the punky box. Now that you have a mohawk, you might feel contempt and alienation from people who conform to societal norms, because now they're the ones crossing the street to avoid you. Now that you have a mohawk, you might have a lot of friends who like punk music, because they're the ones approaching you on the street to start friendly conversations about the Sex Pistols. And your new friends introduce you to other music and fashion and philosophical views of the world, and suddenly you're a different person because you changed your hair. This is, of course, an amazing power for hairdressers to have the power to change your life. But great power, great responsibility, Spider-Man, etc. This is an even further level of why hairdressers need to be such good readers of people, need to psychologically understand you so quickly, not just so they can give you the haircut that matches your identity, but also if you want to change your identity to assess whether that is something that is going to be good for you. I did have a a young client quite a few years ago who came in beautiful, you know, mid-length hair or one length, and she wanted colour. She'd never had colour before, and she wanted a bright blue. And number one, it's probably something that you wouldn't go ahead and do on a first-time colour client anyway. Number two, she was a very conservative type of person. So that out there, loudness of the hair colour... with what I could pick up instantly in her personality, I thought, she's going to hate it. So we had a a big chat, her and I, and we said, and I just, I was honest with her. I said, I really think that going from having no colour in your hair to what you you think that you're wanting is going to really, really blow you out of the water, that it would scare you off that much. You probably will never have colour again. The thing is, people don't necessarily realise how much their identity is mixed up with their hair. So that sudden shift in their appearance and consequently their sense of self can actually be very disorientating. And because your hairdresser is the expert, if you weren't ready for that shift, it's still the hairdresser's fault. And that is it. We have to read the human. Yeah. We can't, we can't, we're not listening to what, we're listening to what you're saying. Yeah. But we've got to read the human. So a good example of that is people who come in and say, I want my hair cut really short, up, up to my shoulders. Yeah. And then you're having a chat with them and all the while they're pulling their hair down with their hands. Oh, no. So to me that says, no, you don't want short hair. <laughs> you're not going to be able to soothe yourself. So you. then <laughs> I, I kind of go, this person's going to walk out and you're hoping they can't cry. Yeah. And they at the end of the day, they know they've told me that, but they're going to put that they're in their head always, and then they're going to have a fear of hairdressers and, oh, God, I went in and I did that and she didn't tell me not to. Yeah. All this responsibility is another key difference between hairdressers and plumbers. First, a change in plumbing probably won't change your identity, most of the time. And second, if you hire a plumber to put a toilet in your lounge room, they'll probably tell you that's a bad idea. But if you insist, they'll just do it. And when you realise that it was not a great idea, it'll be your fault, not theirs. 
There is one final level to this link between hair and identity, and it has to do with the times in our lives when we want to change who we are. Sometimes we get a mohawk because we think it looks cool and that's awesome. But a lot of the time, when we want a new identity, it's because we don't like a current one. The times when we want to change our identity are often times of great emotional upheaval. It's often about responding to big life events, things that life throws at us that make us want to change the narrative, take back control. It's not about the haircut anymore. Yeah. It's about what's behind the emotion behind the haircut. And I think Coco Chanel said, a woman who cuts her hair is about to change her life. <laughs> and that is so true because yeah. people cut their hair after a breakup. People, cut, people do things to their hair as statements in life. And we find as a general rule... People who are submissive or unhappy or don't really want to do a lot with their hair. They're very, you know, but someone, they have a life-changing moment, changing jobs, um, having a baby is another big one sure. where they will go that first year and just be mum and then suddenly they wake up one day and go, whoa, who am I? And they come in and go, do something drastic with my hair. I need to feel, I don't know, classy and, and, and kept and, you know, done. And we all have moments in our life where we just let everything go, and then you pick up the pace again. But when you are emotionally vulnerable, the instinct to change who you are is not always a good thing. So when, if somebody comes in and you, and they want some, a drastic change, and as you say, I can definitely imagine that a drastic change is often the response to a big life event. Yes. Is there, are you then assessing... Are you in the right Are they meant to be correct? <laughs> we also have to do that as well, and that's where we pick up the body language. Yeah. Um, also, how they're talking about the life event. So it might be, this is awesome, or, oh, my God, my husband left me and da-da-da-da-da. Then that would be a set where I would say, okay, you're quite emotional, this, this haircut. How about we just give it a trim, do your usual, because you've had a major change. You don't think, because it's a visual thing, your hair. Yeah. And you can look in the mirror and your brain freaks out. And that is a normal brain response. Side note, I never thought of myself as someone who defined themselves through their hair. But after having these conversations with Lisa and Marissa, I thought back to 2011 when I broke my ankle. Now, it wasn't a bad break. You know, I had like six weeks in a cast, that kind of stuff. But for some reason, the whole thing really bummed me out. I became quite depressed and I ended up seeing a psychologist for the first time in my life. And six months after that, when I was starting to feel better, I cut all my hair off. All this, of course, is how the old cliché comes about of hairdressers becoming their clients' best friends. You know, they are someone who, in order to establish your identity, listens to you very attentively, asks questions about your life and also gives you great advice in times of emotional upheaval. How could they not become your best friend? And it's so personal. It's such a personal industry that we work in. And, you know, I can tell you over the years, you know, clients will tell you things that they would never in a million years tell their own family. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it does become very, very personal um, and you have an attachment, you know. You really grow an attachment to that person. And, and this all sounds lovely obviously, to form a personal attachment to your clients, to work with and for your friends. But it can also be a burden. 
to be available and perceptive for so many people, particularly when they are feeling emotional. I love my clients. I love when people come in and tell you stuff. But there is a lot more, I guess, dumped on us these days. And I'm okay because I've been doing it for so long and I love the whole human mind thing. Mm -hmm. But the new lot coming through are not coping with the amount of, I guess, other people's issues being dumped on them, especially this next generation coming up who've got their own issues themselves. And what do you think has triggered that? Why is, or what what do you mean when you say people need mental health help like that? Well, because we're so involved in our phones and we're disconnected from humans, you can go to the supermarket, you could actually go through a whole day without having a conversation with a human. So you could go to the bank, go to the ATM, you can deposit your own money in there, you can go to the supermarket, self-checkout, you could sit at home, order everything online, it comes to you, so you literally don't even have to leave your house. Mm. And I feel like people are not connected anymore. So we're one of the few places you come that a human will still touch you and have a conversation with you and, and care. I don't know that I totally agree with Lisa's ideas about phones and the disconnection of society, but I can definitely see that being present for someone, looking them in the eye, touching them, particularly when they're feeling vulnerable, has the power to form a strong emotional bond. And I do believe that hairdressers carry the burden of that bond of monitoring and managing their clients' mental health. And that's the final difference between hairdressers and plumbers, because I guarantee most plumbers are not tough enough to deal with this shit. It also makes me feel slightly less crazy. You know, at the start of the episode when I had such an emotional response to going to the hairdresser. I now see that it's an emotional place, you know, a place where little details communicate a lot, a place where you can shape who you want to be. But now, even though the stakes for getting a haircut are higher than I realised, I'm actually feeling much less anxious about the whole thing. Partly, this is because I now know what the questions mean, and when asked if I want my hair cut above my ears, I will respond with a firm, clear, yes please. But also because hairdressers are not looking to judge me, as it turns out. They just want to learn about me and help me to clearly communicate my meanness on the top of my head for all to see. Thank you for listening to Human Ordinary. This episode was produced by May Jasper with recording and sound design by Andrew Callaghan. Heaps of thanks this episode to Lisa from Birdie Hair Salon and Marissa Ganchi from the Chisholm Institute. And as always, thanks also to the Human Ordinary team for their stellar editorial advice. Original music for the episode is by Kent Sutherland. That was May Jasper. That was May's final story for this season of Human Ordinary, although her editorial touches will still be heard in the remaining episodes for the year. If you find yourself pining for May's voice, understandable, you are only human, then you can still check out her show, Random Article, available wherever you get your podcasts. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by May Jasper, Mick Cavazzini, Cinnamon Napard, and me, Sam Loy. Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at ACAST. 
Our artwork is by Fergal Quigley, and our theme music is by The Contortionist Handbook. Score ad-free episodes and exclusive rewards by subscribing to Human Ordinary at Possible.com. For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.